the broken clock podcast returns again and this episode we are talking about internet bracket lack of logic now it is pride month and mouse got into an interesting conversation he was keeping me abreast of this while it was going on i'm like what it it if if i picked it up mouse it was about people who insisted there was absolutely no way anyone could see anything even remotely gay coded about he-man and the masters of the universe is that correct <laughs> yes that, that okay for people who aren't aware of he-man i suspect By the power many. of gay <laughs> he-man has a very large gay fan following um in part because it's you know muscular shirtless guys in part because characters have names like drag store fisto and Ram Man. Plus, there there were there were a fair number of, of pretty quality '70s stashes on that show, if I remember. Um, Man at Arms had quite quite the impressive '70s mustache in the cartoon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes. Yeah. Although the action figure did not have his magnificent yes. porn stash. For yes. I mean, for, for people who aren't familiar with He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, it was essentially a television show designed to sell toys. And that made it somewhat controversial at the time. But children of the 80s, like myself, love that freaking show when it was on. I acknowledge it doesn't stand up, but... You know, even at the time, we sort of giggled at some of the names. So, Mouse, what what were these people trying to trying to argue, trying to convince people of? <laughs> no, there were there were several very interesting camps. Uh, for starters, you have the ones that uh, this is always so interesting. The ones who, at the very immediate mention of anything gay, they jump to the sexualization. Um, bandwagon uh, as if being gay was nothing more than just having sex um, they throw away the whole notion of no being gay means that yeah you are attracted to someone of your own sex but you also want to settle down with them uh, want to have a life have children etc it's not just about sex so they um, were trying to claim that, that what it's sexualizing a children's television property Yes, they're, they're sexualizing okay. a children's property in which bare-legged men in furry speedos were rocking around flexing <laughs> their muscles, and women women in leotards, um, yeah, and and very very high heels were also <laughs> running around. Um, <laughs> when you put it uh, that way. <laughs> uh huh. Well, you know, I mean, look at him and a skeleton for crying out loud. <laughs> well, like Skeletor, yeah, Skeletor, Skeletor were even less than human. Out. Yeah, I could never figure Skeletor out because, like, he was ripped except for his face. Yes, and <laughs> and 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 Skeletor was so coded gay. <laughs> uh, he was he was Poland in in <laughs> he was Poland in muscles and furry speedos. Um, <laughs> the whole thing is for so those bizarre. those those of you who might be too young to remember, heck, I'm too young to have seen Paul Lind on television, but he was an actor famous for his one-liners, especially on Celebrity in, uh, what's it, uh, Hollywood Squares? Hollywood Squares, yeah. Uh, the, the character of Roger on American Dad is uh, patterned after him. Right. But it's it's also pretty much just such a, such, such, 
such a, a huge chunk of Skeletor is just Poland uh, <laughs> yeah. being sassy, being sassy and snarky, sassy. and yeah, yeah, it's 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 the it's the whole it's a queenie sass that you see in you know the stereotypically quoted gay characters. Yeah, which um, un, un, you know, rightly or wrongly, '80s villains tended to have that, except for Mumra. Except for Mumra. Yeah, but Thundercats was an exception to so many things. I mean, Tigra was the... the Gay Awakening of the, the 80s. The, yeah, Tigra <laughs> was the Gay Awakening character on Thundercats. If people, we're, I'm not saying this because I'm willing to fight for it. I'm saying it because if you spend any time in 80s fan groups, this, this, is, this is what's discussed. And Panthro, whose voice actor was actually... Yeah, I mean, P Panthro had like the leather boy thing going on. The leather boy thing going on. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. It. I mean, I. I am a big fan of Thundercats. I the Thundercats toys I liked because every single one of them had a different body type instead of that mm -hmm. He-Man. Let's make a lot of toys fastly and cheaply. But exactly. Yeah. So they were the, claiming the, the side effect of that. The side effect of that yeah. is that you had the toys malfunction at the worst times. Mm -hmm. I remember I was once playing with my Tila and like her legs dropped off. But, like they just oh, dropped off because they were held on by a teeny little rubber band weren't they yes they yeah. were held by a little rubber band and the rubber band snapped and like her legs just dropped off <laughs> i was like what happened that's pretty horrifying so <laughs> they were conflating jokes made by adults not around children with somehow the sexualization of a the masters of the universe of, yeah of child's thing i don't understand i'm not american i don't understand this sexualization of children angle it seems to be just a if you want to cut off all rational debate go pe go pedophile reference yeah i mean and i will also note that these are the same people who said absolutely nothing when and a very which i show i showed it to you Mm -hmm. A very, very sexualized image of a door of a Shira, and with the with the panty peak skirt, like with a panty skirt peak skirt, and skirt, it was practically a belt, and the leg that the legs that were like ninety percent of her body. Okay, um, I and, I think we've uncovered mouse part of the problem here. Mm -hmm. That if they and don't see that not as a sexual, single. but if they see what was it, He Man, it was riding it was he -Man, with Bo he on a horse. Yeah. 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 Someone someone recreated. There there was this crossover episode between Human and Shira, where Adam meets Bo, and it's an incredibly campy um, episode. Um, which of course, it was probably an intentional nod because Adam is kind of gay coded as well <laughs> to of. make him different from yeah. from Human. Right. Uh, he wears a pink they, vest. He wears a pink vest. He has a very, he has a he has a very mellow. His his the voice actor pitched his voice higher when yeah. he was Adam, and he w pitched his voice voice lower. You know, I am He Man. When he well, was he, he, -Man. he he was supposed to be about sixteen years old in the show, Prince Adam. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry if you've got that body when you're sixteen, you're a steroid freak. Yeah, uh. that that was <laughs> well, that was just because again, sell cheap toys. But mm -hmm. yeah, it so it was Bo and Prince Adam. Bo and Prince Adam riding on a horse. Um, through the incredibly rainbowy forest of Etheria, which is where right. Shira lives, right? Um, and someone made a someone made a joke. Uh, they recreated it with the action figures, quite well done, actually. Um, 
I said, and someone says something like, you know, for, for Pride Month, here's Prince, Prince Adam going on a ride with his uh, boyfriend, Bo. Um, and of course, you know, Adam has his hands very firmly on Bo's hips, right. on both, on both the, uh, the cartoon and the safety first and the and the toy because safety first yeah. uh falling off a horse is not a good thing <laughs> <No>. <laughs> as someone who's actually done it um it, yeah it hurts <laughs> it, it hurts yeah it hurts and so you have people screaming uh saying that uh you know the gate you actually uh, a, a very large contingent of italian men um i know i noticed specifically at the forefront of this, okay. uh, which I find absolutely hilarious. Um, okay, Shira with half her lower butt cheeks exposed, not sexual. Two guys riding on a horse together, sexual. Have I got mm -hmm. this? Yeah. This sounds more like what the speaker is attracted to and less about objective reality here. Um, it. it Considering things, it could simply be one of those, you know, one, one of those old chestnuts about how um, some of the most vocal homophobes are that way because they have one delicately um, shod shoe in the closet. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, otherwise, why do they care? Why do they care about in-jokes between adults when no kids are around? Exactly. Because this was, and of course, someone someone um made a, a brilliant comeback at, at these uh, bigots saying you know we're 40 we're 40 year old men discussing about toys that we played with when we were 30 years old can we please stop the pretense the pretense that anyone here is having sex right it was a good line it was a good line but see this is where i start going what is going on with the internet because the biggest insult for a lot of did you just the... did you just reference the meme no not intentionally <laughs> um i okay i admit <laughs> i admit the internet not just of late but especially of late just has me completely baffled i'm sort of the minute anything gets ridiculous i'm like check please and i move on to something else i just can't can't like, but okay i there i do not believe that things just exist with no purpose so internet what passes for logic on the internet must have some benefit to someone somewhere and i'm hoping to try to begin to figure it out in this podcast because it's everything right it's well it's, it's, it's not just it's not just like pop culture it's not just politics it's not sports it's everything well you know my husband was having issues with um the stupid content on on, on the internet <laughs> a while back mm -hmm. uh, because he wants to find intelligent people to talk with and you know have actual meaningful conversations like you well, you know, you could back in the day of the early days of Yahoo Chats before right. the floodgates opened and the cavalcade of imbeciles <laughs> flooded those areas. Um, I, mean, I remember when you could have meaningful conversations in IRC. Yeah. Uh, and I was like 15 in, in the 90s. 
and I, I had like conversations about philosophy and history with people in IRC chats um, in, the, in the early 90s. Uh, I was, you know, like 12, 13, 14, maybe. But you could have you could talk to people about philosophy, history, technology, art. Um, you don't have that anymore. Right. Like that that was the 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 landscape of the internet as it first began um, is very, very different. Uh, back then, everybody was very, very careful about, you know, the, the issues of netiquette and stuff. But the main reason is that back in that day, back in the day, that's before social media made its entrance, you did not have, as a rule, a majority of unmoderate, unmoderated spaces. Um, the majority of spaces where you interacted with people were chat rooms that often had a moderator who could mm. shut your eye, shut your ass up if you were being an, an, an absolute tool. Uh, you had forums that had rules that you agreed to when you posted. Um, and of course, the traffic was much smaller in school. Much smaller, yeah. Uh, I mean, so moderators yeah. could keep abreast of that. In theory, uh, um, most social media services are are moderated there's a terms of service there was you know the the big i don't understand this why this was such massive news but trump is still banned on twitter indefinitely and banned on facebook for another two years so allegedly there is still moderation in practice i don't know what these companies are doing it's it's pretty much a no man's land on facebook you can get banned you can get a three-day um, comment um, ban from just typing the word "bitch," even if oh. you're even if you're using an idiomatic expression. Um, you know, like I actually, we, we uh, I think it was in the Ultimate Dragons mm -hmm. board. We were talk we were talking about uh, remaking old or whatever or popular music with Britannian type lyrics so i wanted to go well i'm gonna try and write the bitches back in britannian um in britannian uh english which is basically for Eliz elizabethan english right 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 um and i got banned for three days for typing bitch <laughs> a guy sent me a band notification he got on twitter because he was talking about wrestling to a, a wrestler and said get him to punch you in the face Basically mm -hmm. suggesting a, a move for yeah. for this particular for this particular wrestling match. Um, obviously, that's not a human being doing that. Oh, yeah. That's some sort of machine word flag. Yeah, like the time that I was I was uh, Twitter jailed for about for twelve hours for saying they should kick Laura, uh, Bobert to the curb. And that's I got flagged a, for inciting violence. That's a weird one. That's just a term of speech. That's just like kick them out of the car, not not harm them in any way. But yeah, basically I was I was saying, you know, you know, vote her out, kick her out of the curb. She's you know, she's she's a she's a crazy person. Yeah. Now the social media companies argument is that people can block or mute anyone they want to that should solve the problem. Clearly, that's not solving the problem. I think mm -hmm. that that feature in some ways drives a particular type of obsession mm -hmm. in people on the internet. I've noticed that, I mean, 
I'm blocked by certain people. I, I find it either amusing or sort of a badge of honor. I admit, like I found out recently, I'm blocked by the Black Lives Matter Twitter account. <laughs> Why? I have no idea. They must be using block lists, but I find that pretty amusing. I mean, I'm blocked by a lot of uh, alt-right trolls, which is kind of funny. Um, but, you know, does this stop me from finding out what they're doing? Does this stop me from commenting on things? They say no, because anybody can just provide a screen cap. It's, yeah. a, it's a really, really... <sighs> and, and this is one of the things I'm wondering about, Mouse. Is this sort of lack of this over-reliance on rules instead of ethics? Now, yes, some people would say ethics are a set of rules, but there's difference between doing something because there's a rule against it and doing something because you think it's, you know, right. morally right or wrong, right? It's a different motivation. And I wonder if that's not part of it, that, that there's this perception on the internet that nothing, they both see it as the most important thing in the world and a meaningless activity at the same time. Yeah, because you have, this is something I observed. Um, here's the thing, when you are so rules focused as a platform or anything, um, we're gonna call this um, te technological deontology. Yes. The problem with, with um, a rules-based approach to conduct instead of an ethics-based approach to conduct is that you can present a perfectly rule-abiding uh, behavior once you know where the loopholes are. Yes. Uh, and so you can start coding words such as the people who uh, planned the uprising on the 6th of uh, January um, without specifically mentioning things like riot, revolution, right. conflict, you know, using euphemisms. Um, and this is something I saw while uh, facing off against the idiocy that is comic state. Um, oh, you, yeah. you would have people scouring um, for people who were against comic skates and looking at their posts and finding words that they could use to report the tweet so that the algorithm would flag it as say a threat or etc and get someone uh, suspended and then eventually Twitter jail after Wait, too many strikes. Hold up, wasn't the comics gate side all about you should be able to say whatever you want, no more of this political correctness thing? Yeah, funny that isn't it. Okay, this is something I see rampant online. Mm -hmm. And may maybe we can maybe we can pull from the Greeks here a bit because what the internet looks to me like is basically the it's it's sort of a di direct democratic structure like Athens was. And of course the worst thing that could happen to an Athenian was ostracization. You get stripped of your citizenry and kicked out, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, drink poison or get kicked out. People took the poison, right? It obviously, the idea of ostracization was a very, considered a very serious punishment. Right. So 
if you know a, a Twitter access, for instance, is treated like Athenian citizenry, then mm -hmm. I can see why breaking every moral code you claim to believe in to get someone booted off even temporarily, I can see how that's, I guess, some sort of Midas right victory. Oh yeah. And you know, um that another another perfect example of of this is yeah, again, comic skates. Um, as you know, one of the things they always write it, it's really it's really hilarious because it, you know, their whole platform was you should be able to say whatever you want to say, but they also cringed and and kind of rallied against people using pronouns um, and, you know, complaining that they were being misgendered. Um, and at one point, Ethan Van Skyver and a whole bunch of his um, followers would put pronouns on their profile. Uh, at one point, he was she, her, and then they, them. Right. And they would use that and go to arguments that they had with anti-commissary people and point out the tweets where they were addressed by gender, you know, he, him, or whatever, and say, they're, being, they're misgendering me and reported those tweets to get those people. So um, they're, they're, they're basically making a mockery out of the whole pronoun thing and using it to get people in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this I mean, is this is one of the things that was going on in that particular sphere of this this is another thing i've seen on the internet there are people who care very much about acting like they don't actually care about anything when in truth they care about a huge like they they care an inordinate amount in stuff that about stuff that in the big picture shouldn't be important. It just seems like people are turning into collections of coping mechanisms instead of self-actualized people. Or rather and, failed coping mechanisms. Yeah, and, and they'll lose their minds about something as simple as a new Star Wars show or movie wasn't to their liking. Okay, I've been dealing that since the '90s when the I'm prequels like, came out, right? I'm like, bitch, I'm an I'm a DC Comics fan. Oh yeah, <laughs> that is that is the background radiation of my life. Okay, like DC Comics are sort of like, remember when they were good? You start wondering if it ever actually happened. Happened. <laughs> if DC Comics I mean, were ever actually as good as we remember, or are we just younger and had taste up the ass? I mean, I don't know. I did. I recently reread the Teen Titans from the 80s, mm -hmm. uh, the original Marv Wolfman run before it became the 90s and he lost his mind for a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and it does hold up. It really mm. does hold up. Things like the Young Justice uh, TV show, actually. So there, there are some good elements. First okay. Wonder Woman movie, but it's kind of like a wasteland. So I am, I, I think that when, that's one of the things that has kind of um, given me enough calluses to go, yeah, so Welcome to life. You're disappointed. But, but like, that's the thing, right? We're going, wow, DC really sucks. We're laughing about it. And we get on with our lives. Yeah. There have been people fighting for three solid years, years. about how much DC sucks. And I'm sorry, it takes two sides to fight. Mm -hmm. So it's not just you know, there's this narrative. It's just these shitlord guys with no lives and all that stuff. No, it takes two sides to fight, right? 
Like otherwise, it's just people screaming. It's it's people screaming at each other, mm-hmm. and both sides look like idiots to a a, a you know well-rounded self-actualized person and this is where i start actually i admit getting a bit disturbed mouse because people are i don't know if it's a self-fulfilling prophecy about years and years and years of being told that media controls our minds somehow with no actual scientific evidence to back that up i mean oh you mean the the series of uh cultivation theory and Marshall McLuhan. Yes, which were were never even peer reviewed. I know. Uh, and if those, if anyone is wondering, that's that's a, a skit by a Canadian surrealist comedy group called The Vestibules. Mm-hmm. Uh, look it up. It's called The Ballad of Marshall McLuhan, and it really does say everything you need to know about Marshall McLuhan. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's more the um, the cultivation theory and stuff that seems to be the thing that's persisted in academia because mm-hmm. they took something with a shred of truth and just you know stretched it until it was completely unrecognizable, unrecognizable. like a picture on silly putty right yeah but it's almost like it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy that people think media has a lot more control over us than it does therefore it has to be tightly controlled and it's not it is no longer about something being to our taste it is about this fear that actual harm is going to come to us because you know one particular superhero movie wasn't very good or didn't include every possible demographic group on the planet it it just that doesn't seem healthy to me and again that takes multiple sides to participate in Mm -hmm. and i am so exhausted by nothing nothing is allowed to exist without somebody politicizing it to scream about it being politicized oh yeah definitely like uh was it this week last week i think it was last week a uh, promo came out for a movie called, not a movie, a, a video game a sequel called Horizon Forbidden West. It's a sequel to a Horizon Red Dawn? Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah. Zero Dawn. Which is Red Dawn. Short, Red Dawn is very different. However, <laughs> <laughs> I have made that mistake too. Um, Horizon oh, Zero- I can see, I can, I can see, I can see, I can see the trailers now. Horizon. Yes, Tom Clancy's Horizon Red Dawn. Uh, But so um, this trailer came out. For people who don't know the game franchise, it's basically a redheaded Iron Age female warrior fighting robot dinosaurs with fire arrows. Okay. What more more does anyone need? There is nothing not cool about that. Yeah. But they they premiered the new game and the PS5 has 
uh, much uh, significantly enhanced graphics capabilities. Now, one of the things that tends to happen when there's a big increase in graphics capability on the technological level is human faces look like steaming ass for a while. <laughs> I, I do not know why this is so. I just know that these rendering technologies <laughs> always struggle with human faces and we don't have time to get into the myriad reasons now but i'm sitting there looking at it and going oh cool they gave her like freckling and sunburning she's a redhead in the san francisco sun there's really no sunblock anywhere kind of cool but there was a little bit of facial warping because of for people who don't know the the way to capture faces in video games they put a camera at about chin level Mm -hmm. which does really unattractive things to women's faces in part because we're just not see used to seeing women's faces shot from that angle. They do it with men all the time, right? Cause it draws out the chin. Yeah. That's why you had, that's why you tended to have like shepherds with like Jay Leno chins. Right. Right. Well, that <laughs> it sort of looked like that. It, it was sort of more rounded in this case, but there was definitely more chin than one would expect. And there was this, days like days of rage <laughs> over she's ugly she's fat why can't we have beautiful characters anymore and i'm sitting here i'm, I'm looking at this sitting here thinking um what like what why is it a prerequisite that an iron age female ro ro warrior who fights robots with robot dinosaurs with fire arrows look like a fashion model exactly like why why do we say fashion models are the pinnacle of beauty anyway not even the fashion industry says that mm -hmm. they're walking clothes hangers yeah pretty right? much and unfortunately because of the way uh marketing and branding after kind of the decline of the supermodel um happened now actresses are human clothes hangers as well with a few notable exceptions so it's like people just but but like this this need that this one character i guess because they like the game satisfy their particular and it wasn't that sort of status symbol i you know no fat chicks kind of thing it was like somebody took away somebody's mommy. It was yeah. this odd, in infantile, and I, I don't mean that as an insult. It, it was the wail of a young child. It kind of was. You know, sometimes you do have bastions where that doesn't happen, fortunately. Like, for example, Lady Gaga. Um, Lady Gaga has done something very smart with her fan base. In a way, it's almost like she kind of weaned them off a good chunk of that nonsense so that by the time, you know, she was, because she, of course, she suffered from an eating disorder at one point. Well, she um, got really skinny there for a while. Like, yeah, it was very not healthy. And of course, we found out, no, she she was severely unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, fibromyalgia also contributed to her yes. to a loss of appetite. And a broken uh, pelvis that she and, yeah, kept performing on yeah like uh, just just that no biggie right right yeah. i mean i saw her i saw her after the broken pelvis uh, for that live show in uh over here and it was three hours and i was like this woman had a broken pelvis i know how did she do that i have no and you know she supported 
throughout the entire time. I never heard her singing off the voice. I was like, what are you like uh, an alien? But she she is she is a, a unique a unique talent or, or a unique entertainment athlete, I'll call her. I don't know how she did it. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, when she did her reveal, when she started showing herself with a normal body, mm-hmm. it was not an overweight body. Of course, the media, a good chunk of the media went, oh, she's so fat. Yes. But you, would, you saw almost unanimously her fans going, no, this is okay. This is what a normal woman looks like. She's yeah. healthy. You know, yeah. she has some fat in it because your organs need cushionings. <laughs> well, that and espe- especially when there's an injury, you do tend to collect uh, fat deposits around there because the body kind of, yeah. But she's trying to heal. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's, I mean, obviously she's a master of image, mm-hmm. right? I, I know a lot of, I mean, Lizzo's another one that I think is very. Oh, Lizzo is awesome. The, the one the one I feel really bad for is Adele. Yeah, because she had a kid breastfed. Some women just lose a ton of weight mm-hmm. when they're breastfeeding because that baby's a little parasite. Right? <laughs> and people acted like Adele had somehow betrayed them because she lost weight. And I feel about Adele the way I feel about the casting for the live action of Little Mermaid, the definitive quality of Adele and Ariel in The Little Mermaid is not their appearance. It mm-hmm. is their voice. As long yeah. as the voice is still there, I don't give a flying fish <laughs> what they <laughs> look like. <laughs> right? And But people go to pieces and it just seems like that that consistency that consistency is safety thing going on in the brain over and over and over these constant triggers on the internet that people feel so under siege that true logic is not possible. And I can't tell, and I think this is important to figure out if certain provocateurs or certain groups are effectively, yeah, effectively manipulating, exploiting people's emotions or if those raw emotions are just there because of, you know, the, the, the provocateurs are not creating these raw emotions. They pre-exist and, and they're just, and I think this is so because guys like Bannon and Trump and, you know, e- even people like uh, Naomi Wolf and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, they, they manipulate pre-existing raw wounds. They, mm-hmm. they don't have the force of personality to create them. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know how you feel most about this AOC thing of uh, using her own abuela, her, her grandmother to, I'm not quite, I, it seems that she was trying to draw attention to the ongoing issues in Puerto Rico, but she posted pictures of her abuela's house apartment when she was down there. I, she hadn't been able to see her abuela in a year and this is what her house is still like. This is how bad things are. And she got a lot of blowback to the point that, what's his name, Matt Walsh from the Daily Wire started a GoFundMe to fix AOC's abuela's, abuela's um, house. roof. And 
and this is the big tactical mistake I think AOC made. She turned down the money and claimed it was an attack. Trying to get her, her grandmother's roof fixed was an attack. And I found the logical cycles. I put up a thing saying, okay, Congress people make enough money. Um, crowdfunding prowess of AOC aside uh, to get this damn roof fixed. By the way, didn't she raise like a bunch of money for a bunch of people in Texas this way? What's going on here? And people immediately says, she's one of the poorest members of Congress. I noted, I never said she was rich. I well, never made that assertion. The, the, the sad thing is, so I looked up her worth, her yeah. net worth. A hundred thousand dollars, bitch. I want to be that poor. <laughs> well, that that actually means she has a positive net worth. I know, which is important because I know she tends to scream about her student debt and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But most people have a negative net worth because yeah. they don't own a home and mm -hmm. they have they have crushing student debt. And yep. so I don't know if this was a a an attempt that backfired to do the stuff she used to do when she legitimately was you know a bartender barely mm -hmm. aching, making ends meet and her brain is not caught up to the fact that she's not there anymore but when the the well part of it started i was like part. oh my god take the money like this is the only if spite is the only way to get um the the conservative wealthy to cough up some cash take it girl yeah she didn't well like, there's also there's also the other thing that you got to remember what um aoc's platform you know she is she kind of exists in bernie world um so the the kind of acknowledgement that she has some wealth um is kind of contrary to her to the image and what she drums up just like the fact that bernie has like three houses oh, uh, bernie <laughs> bernie's very wealthy but bernie's been doing what he's doing for a long time he's written a bunch of books or had somebody write them for him of course he's got money i don't care that they have money you know the the point is that they're i i just don't understand why she didn't say yes i'll take your money thank you idiots and the remainder will go to fix other people's roofs like she claims she wants to help people but when she actually has the opportunity to help people she claims it's an attack this i don't think this help and then she goes and endorses maya wiley for the um uh -huh. new york um mayor primary race and i'm like i bet maya wiley just loved that whole um <laughs> saga right of the right. puerto rico roof like these do not seem like logical, rational, tactical decisions no. on the part of AOC. Uh, Hannity doesn't seem to be making rational decisions. Tucker oh. Carlson certainly isn't. Hannity hasn't been making tech, uh, rational decisions for since at least 10 years. Yeah, but um, what's going on here? Like people, the narrative is that people like Bernie, like AOC, like, you know, Hannity and, and Carlson and people like that. They've, they've got this team of people and everything they do is super calculated and we have to read the tea leaves and nothing is accidental. <laughs> and to me, it just seems like these people are, they sit and if people aren't paying attention to them for five minutes, they start feeling angry, sad. So they must tweet. 
Well, um, this, I think, is something that uh, take a shot because Ayn Rand um, made some observations about something of this sort. Oh. And she called it the, the premacy of emotion. Um, you know, she had a theory about uh, emotions that emotions, uh, unlike what some people, uh, 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 sorry, let me rephrase that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people believe that because objectivism uh, advocates reason, that Ayn Rand advocated reason, therefore she had no room for emotions. That's not true. Yeah. In her theory of uh, emotions, she talks about how emotions sort of function as the warning systems of mm -hmm. a body, of, a, a, of an organism. They give you red flags, mm -hmm. warning flags. They're kind of like your status check. They tell you how you feel about something. It doesn't necessarily tell you why. It doesn't necessarily tell you if how you're feeling about something is how you should be feeling. Right. And should being, is this a proportionate response? Am I overreacting, etc. It only tells you there is a problem here. Right. Where, whether the problem is with you or with the thing that you're reacting about, right. that is when reason has to step in, looks at things and goes, okay, yeah, this person is a total creep and I, I need to step away from them. Right. Or, or this person is trying to manipulate me or I am overreacting. I am com I've completely lost the plot. This is completely, uh, 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 this is a total overreaction and I need to understand why am I reacting like this? What is what is it that I that I'm operating? On. Yeah, what's so, what's going on that needs to be fixed? So I stop. You know, it's like a, a computer bug in a car that keeps saying there's something wrong with your engine. No, there's something wrong with the computer. Yeah, or, yeah. you know, every Windows 10 user knows that <laughs> uh, knows that experience. <laughs> uh, like the time that my Bluetooth just disappeared for two weeks and then magically came back. Uh, <laughs> I I have this I have this ongoing thing with my old car that um if the it was a, a particular sensor and every time that sensor got the least bit dirty it would say there was something wrong with my car and of mm. course and this this i think is the problem with people who stay in these heightened um fight or flight because that that's what i get from aoc it's constant fight or flight reasoning yeah right? it, and and it's it's not reasoning it's, oh, it's reacting reacting better term yes the, but when you operate from when you operate from a premise of emotion right uh, it's well, kind it's, of like what she calls the premise of consciousness mm -hmm. um you know in her metaphysics she says you know people think this is a tautological uh, expression existence exists um but you would be surprised how many philosophy schools of philosophy argue that consciousness exists before existence that right. consciousness is what creates existence she rejected that saying that you know existence exists and it is independent from consciousness you can feel about the world however you want but just thinking or feeling it so is not going to magically change reality to suit your whims right but from the premise of emotion which is similar from that that position of premise of uh, of consciousness it is you're operating when you're when you're when you exist on a manipulative level of triggering emotions and reacting to emotions and not going through any type of introspective or rational process, mm -hmm. you essentially kind of end up in this de facto state where you believe that those emotions are, are enough, that they're sufficient to change things, that, they, that merely by having them, 
and expressing them, you are creating some sort of worthwhile change and worthwhile effect. Whereas the, of course, the, the result is that you are just engendering chaos. Well, um, and I, I think we've hit the now what, now that that's been proven out, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, someone goes on the internet, screams, I'm a victim, and okay, they get some short-term attention, but then, as you said, nothing changes. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing on the internet is it's almost like we need an extended philosophy here because all of that checks, but then, then what? They do it again, and they do it again, and they do it again. And I think they believe that they're supposed to be feeling powerful now right but nothing ever really changes and to go you know go back to the metaphor of my car when and then a light comes on and it, it doesn't mean anything it's just a glitch you know the light comes on nothing happens the light comes on nothing happens what do you eventually start doing you start ignoring that early warning sign right you start ignoring all those things that tell you Something is not right here. And the one thing I, I hope <laughs> it might take so many Joe Bidens to do this. But what I what I am finding I like about Biden is that he's actually trying to make government work the way government is designed to work. And when people start getting utterly nutty about everything, he's like, this is fine. This is the process. This is what happens. We'll get there. Don't worry. Like people mock him for his optimism, but I think you know, I I think he sets a better example than these people who are constantly running around with their hair on fire insisting that the world is going to end unless somebody does something. Right? Yeah. And as much as I you know make references to Ayn Rand, etc. For example, I would not say that objectivism is a philosophy that we need at this point. Um, it's too early. We need something like stoicism because people need to learn to stop being live wires. Like you said, stop yeah. running around as if their hair were on fire. People need to, to use a, a, very, a, a very common internet colloquialism. They need to calm their tits. Uh, yeah, tits I, be calm. I yeah what i've found talking to people uh because you know i'm like well what do we do about this well there's nothing we can do that's the immediate knee-jerk reaction and i said so why spend your days screaming about it well i feel like i have to do something you see you see the loop mm -hmm. it's this it's this hamster treadmill and they're really, I mean, stoicism is terribly misunderstood as well in a lot of ways. People think stoicism is about suppressing emotion instead of mm -hmm. understanding and taming. processing emotion. Yeah. Well, they think taming is suppression because what have they been taught <laughs> to do their whole lives? Suppress, right? right. And they, and, get, they and, get on the and, internet and it's just <laughs> this, right? It all comes out because they don't have to suppress anymore. And then they have trouble getting it back in. Yeah. I mean, people, you don't suppress your animals. You tame them. Right. And taming them just means that you can live with them. I, I compromise. You can live with them without my, destroying. I compromise with my cats. That's the well, thing I love cats. about cats. <laughs> well, cats are not fully domesticated. 
No, they're not. They are constantly plotting to kill you. Well, cats, <laughs> things go to shit. Cats adapt, right? Yes. And I, I mean, having cats is a constant uh, learning exercise of, was that really a reasonable request? You know, do- dogs, <laughs> you constantly have to be an asshole to a dog. This is what I don't <laughs> like about having dogs. You, you, have, you have to be the heavy all the time. Yes. And I really think that, you know, human behavior thrives in much more cat-like environments where it's like, all right, you've got your things, you know, they call it a, a challenge, challenge line or something like that with cats, but you got your space and I've got my space and let's just respect each other's spaces. Whereas dogs, it's sit, stay, roll over, speak. You know, and humans don't tend to respond well. Dogs need that. And yeah. I really wonder if they're there. I am giving people I, I am not actually uh, identifying. Maybe some people need sit, stay, roll over, speak more than they like to admit. They're not self-actualized because they've never been given a chance to self-actualize. Or they have a, or they have run away from chances to become self-actualized. That is a thing, too. That's a thing, but more and more, I think that especially people under 35, they've never really had the opportunity, right? Because, I mean, everything was on a track. This is what you did. They were never allowed to fail and, you know, learn to pick themselves back up after failure because well-meaning parents were so terrified that if you failed a test in the eighth grade, you wouldn't get into Harvard. I was like... You know, if if you don't if you don't have rich relatives who are alumni of Harvard, well, your chances of going to Harvard just go down anyway. Right. And why right. do you Harvard? Like, what is it about their life? Oh, because their parents want to tell their friends that their kid went to Harvard. Right. It the the pressure from such an early age, I don't think that people can self-actualize with no quiet time. You know, you've, you've got to remember a lot of these philosophies that we're dealing with, there's no internet, there's no constant stimulation. People mm-hmm. had the opportunity to sit and just be here quiet. And I think a lot of people do not have that because i mean think about it we know that stressing out developing brains gives people lifelong hot uh lifelong heightened cortisol levels right we know that well kids who have no like threats to their person are getting stressed out you know disney's making shows about you know minor hockey and high school girls basketball to show how pressurized the youth experience is now like that it's whimsical and it's adorable and oh my god that one kid on the mighty ducks i just want to hug him he's so cute he has he has two moms and -hmm. he's a bit like a young sean astin but if sean astin was cuddly when he was younger instead of that kind of quasi heartthrob he was for a while (laughs) um but you know, it's 
they're showing that these kids it's when it all costs the parents are lunatics and they've actually made a show about how minor intramural sports should just be fun but how can they be when even those have been politicized through the you know the the transgender issue which I think is disgusting and no mm -hmm. one ever got a scholarship to a university because of middle school sports. Let's call this what it is. Yeah, It's a backdoor way of the state insisting that somebody's gender is not their gender. Like, let's be real about this. This ain't, this ain't about scholarships. And there is just, I am really concerned that, that society is inflicting stress brain on young people and they actually do believe that unless everything goes perfectly their entire life is going to fall apart and, and they, they would not survive an opera <laughs> not survive a what <laughs> an opera well okay operas operas a different kind of bullshit well right? i mean when i mean when you're on the stage when you're on the stage yeah. Um, to quote Terry Pratchett, opera is a series of catastrophes that somehow magically managed to not happen um, to bring the entire thing just collapsing down oh, around that, you. That's that's definitely all theater. That's all entertainment. Hate mm -hmm. to break it to people, the stuff they see on TV. I'm amazed. Most of the productions I'm worked, I've worked on, I see what's on screen. And then I remember what went into it. I mean, I wish it hadn't been so miserable. If we had better budgets, it wouldn't have been. But that stuff barely got made. Yeah. Like, it's not the glamorous, I'll be in my trailer thing that they show on television. It's not that. It, it is, like you said, it, you, you are, you are um, tiptoeing on the edge of disaster. Of disaster. It, like, it, over our a common of calamity. Friend, yeah, like our common friend, Captain Floratura. Uh, I was in a production of Idomeneo with her. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the stage director had decided to paint the entire stage glossy black. Oh, dear. Um, this is a raked stage. Uh, and they had this glossy black paint. Oh, and how slippery it was, was it? Oh, incredibly slippery. And to boot, in order for the lights from the orchestra pit to not reflect up on the paint, they stretched a black canvas over the oh orchestra pit with only a hole for the conductor for people to be able to see so in at one point you could when you're stepping on the stage you could not tell exactly where the stage ended and where the pit began oh you my god uh-huh and there was one moment where when i'm stepping on uh, and and uh, Captain Claratura had to come in running because she was one of the warriors that was about to warn me about the monster mm -hmm. coming in. Oh God, the monster was a whole different thing. <laughs> you but told me about the monster. <laughs> the monster. They 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 gave the monster to a 3D team to develop so that it would be a projection and it would look awesome. And the team dropped the ball. And what came out was, I kid you not, it looked like gum if you crossed Gumby with a sex toy. Uh, that's what it looked like, and the audience laughed. So the, that entire effect was ruined. Yeah. But in, in any case, she was supposed to come in running with a whole bunch of uh, the chorus to you know let us know that there was the monsters coming in. Well, the stage is slick. Uh, and <laughs> oh, God, they had decided no. to turn this into a cyberpunk 
version well, of a of Mozart course, opera. Of course they did. So of course. People were wearing boots and non-practical footwear and Ooh. she slipped and she started sliding and she continued to slide. Uh, and I saw that she was heading towards the pit and there was no stopping her. So I had to step over while singing my my wretched and just grabbed her and pulled her up and continued to sing. But I was like, yeah, she almost died right in front of my face. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, later on, someone did fall through and broke their leg um, right. in, in between rehearsals because they couldn't see where the pit was. Right. Uh. Like it was it was stupid. And you know, to me, things like that are why it's important to have the arts in schools, mm -hmm. not for a cultural education. It It's teaching you how to solve problems in real time. Yes. That I know so. they, they, they play up sport in that way. But I mean, sport, I played basketball. There are good things to pick up from sports as well. But things like that, the thinking on your feet, there's nothing like live performance. Yeah, because sports have sports have rules that you really can't step around. Um, right. In the theater, there are no rules. You tangle up and you tangle on. Yeah, like yeah. in my, you know, in sports, if your pants start falling down for some reason, you can go for a timeout, get, you know, a new pair of shorts or whatever, mm -hmm. the elastic road because someone pulled on it or whatever. Right, right. Uh, on live performance, you can't do that. No. I was my debut i was marco palmieri in a production of Gond gilbert and sullivan's gondoliers and uh we so we were double cast and i no. um the other tenor was much taller incredibly so than i was uh and he had a much wider waist um so and the costume mistress instead of creating two set of, two set of pants, uh, simply said, well, I'll just, I'll oh, just- Oh uh, no, she did the, I'll just the parachute adjust. pant thing. Yes, and she said, and I'll just adjust the waist between performances. Um, and so, okay, well, all right. I put on my, my, my gold pants, because this is the part where in, they're in Barataria, so they're, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, dressed in regal, you know, happiness that I repeat in Barataria, you might meet all that part. Mm -hmm. um, so, we start our number sitting on our, on our thrones uh, and I, we stand up and we start doing the, you know, the little movement part. Right. And then as I move around, I'm going, uh, these pants are incredibly slack. Um, what is going on? Because we only had, they, they, they did away with the intermission. They put the intermission later on. So it was a pretty quick change yes. between the gondoliers leaving Venice and going to Barataria. Um, and so it was kind of like rush, rush, put them on, run on stage while the, you know, while the, while the curtain is down and mm. set. And so as I stood up, I went, oh, these pants are going to fall down. <laughs> these pants are going to, oh my God. So I decided that it was a very royal, um, it was a very royal gesture to gather my pants up in one arm and kind of drape them. Um, you know, as if it were. It's very a, Madonna a, at the, a, a, at the a, VMAs. Yeah, kind of a Madonna at the VMAs <laughs> thing. Because I knew, I knew that Janetta and the other girl, I forget her name now, now uh, the other character, because Janetta was my love interest, right. were going to come in and then they're going to dance the cachupa. And I went, okay, I know what I'm going to do. Because we were supposed to dance the cachupa with them. And I was like, ah, if I dance, <laughs> this is not going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> so she comes, they come into the Janetta and all that stuff. 
And then as the cachupa is about to begin, I grab her, spin her around, and I put her in front of me and I put my arm around her from behind. And I said, I whispered to her, spread your skirts because I need to tie, I'm not, I need to tie these pants together. Otherwise they're gonna fall down. So she does the cachupa by herself in front of me with her, with her skirts spread open. Right. Like she's freaking, like she's, right. she's doing a, a dance routine at RuPaul's Drag Race. Right. And behind her, I am essentially just tying like a Bahia knot on the pants, you know, to just keep them from falling. I did like a double knot with the pants around my waist. And then yeah. once that was done, I went, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to dance. And, you know, right. it, the show went on. But that's the kind of stuff you have to do. Like you have to, not only do you have to think ahead, you have to sing. Yes. You have to sing and you just have to stay in, in, in tempo with the orchestra. You got to remember your words. You got to remember what everybody else is doing. Because if suddenly your pants start falling down, you need to figure out exactly where you're going to pull them up. Otherwise, the stage, you're going to moon like several hundred people. Right. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes it fails and you moon it's, several yeah. hundred people. It's it's sometimes, just, yeah, I do. And the thing about, while it used to be in the arts, everybody has a story like this. Mm -hmm. Now, though, the level of, you know, instead of it being written off to a funny story like it used to be, now it's, well, that was unprofessional. Well, that can never happen again, you know? And the truth is you try to cut down on those sorts of things. You learn, you you don't make the same mistakes, so you can create new mistakes. But now everything is just so perfect, perfect, perfect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what even is perfect, right? Like, what what is? It's, I... I have lost sight of what that means now. And peop some people, they, they have this idea in their head. And, you know, going, going back to the sort of comics world, you see people who are so super brutal critical of other people's work, and then they produce their own work. And it's like, that, that makes you think that you're qualified to- Cyber frog. <laughs> Well, not, not, uh, that, that's, that's in its own category, but uh, yes. I'm, I'm talking like, just like fan artists and things like that. Oh gosh. Yes. You know, I see pieces and it's like, you can tell when somebody has micromanaged their lines and spent like eight hours on one figure. And when you're drawing comics professionally, you just don't have that luxury. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know game developers, they keep saying uh, we want people to know more about the process. We want a more educated, um, you know, player base so that people understand what, what this stuff's involved. And I'm starting to believe people don't care what's involved. They just want stuff and they're not terribly interested in the realities of making it. Yeah. And it, in part, to to be fair they feel like they've been lied to so many times and they don't really believe um what people are saying and that that again is this this to me is is one of the biggest fallacies we have forced on smart people in in our culture that if somebody deceives you it's somehow your transgression not theirs right that you're supposed to be some sort of human lie detector and no one, someone's lying to your face. And I've 
I've found that, and, and the truth is that's for the, for the average person, that is not true. Unless you've had some sort of training, the average person, and I got this from somebody who actually teaches um, how, how basically not how to spot a lie, how to recognize the signs that somebody's being truthful. It's, it's interesting. It's actually easier to spot whether someone's being truthful than be sure someone's lying. I thought that was a fascinating a bit of science uh, because truth is emphatic and instant and specific, right? Um, except in the case of numbers, right? Like somebody who isn't sure about something will say, it was like four or five of them. I don't know a few, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's like, all right, they're probably recalling from memory, but somebody says it was six. It was six. Well, how do you know it was six? Sometimes people have an answer. Other times it's because somebody's telling a story, not mm -hmm. recalling from memory, right? Right. But because the average person is no better than chance at detecting whether somebody's telling the truth, we can't expect people to screen out falsehoods with a high with a you know with a high degree of certainty. It's it's just not reasonable to expect. And yet, if you're fooled. Well, why'd you do that? Why'd you let them do that? Why were you so stupid, right? Instead of why was that person deceptive? And I, it just seems to me more and more people are so afraid of admitting they made a mistake, that they were fooled, that they continue to just double and triple down on ridiculousness. And unfortunately, there's certain structures that are setting this example, right? The, the up here, horrible. The Catholic Church is refusing to apologize for the residential school stuff. You know? Oh, I'm sure they'll eventually apologize 200 years from now. <laughs> well, they're expressing <laughs> sadness or regret, but for whatever reason, and, and this is, I'm not Catholic. I don't understand this about Catholicism. I will never understand this about Catholicism, but the words I'm sorry are apparently um, inappropriate for whatever the Pope is supposed to be, some piece of God on earth or something like that. I'm sorry. I don't want to worship a God who can never say, yeah, let's not do that again. That's not the kind of God I want to worship. I don't like this infallibility thing. It's, it's just that that anybody who claims to be infallible is not infallible. They're just a liar. Mm -hmm. And like, what a terrible example for humanity. Because I would think oh. that, you know, in, in Judaism, it's like, you know, after the whole flood and Noah and Noah ends up a horrible wreck of a human being, right? God's like, yeah, okay. I'm not gonna do that again. Like it's it's right in the book. Right? Well, I mean if you read the if you read the Bible, I mean just the, the the Christian canon as 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 I call it because it well that's a good way of putting it. Because it's um so many people don't know what went into the creation of the Bible as mm -hmm. it is and how contra self-contradictory and in many cases, subversive, some of the apocrypha. Oh, yeah. Right? They're only apocrypha because Bishop Irenaeus didn't like it. It said, no, it's not part of it. That's and like, right. You know, the Gospel of Judas, where it was implied that Judas was in on the plan. So therefore, he's not to be condemned because he just played his part. Right. Uh, which, you know, if you're going for the whole, you know, he came in to be sacrificed, then it makes sense. But of course, you know, 
Judas was kind of used as a scapegoat in the early anti-Semitic anti movements. Yes, because uh, so it couldn't Judah be became, Rome's fault. Uh-huh. So yeah. Judah, Judah, Judas became, you know, the Jew who betrayed. Right. As opposed to, as the, as the gospel of Judas implies, he, is the, he's the, he was the most trusted disciple who was interested with the difficult task of ensuring that, you know, the plan went down or right. whatever. Well, you know, you had the gospel of Mary Madeline, all of these things. Yeah. Bishop Irenaeus wanted to have on it. Um, so he said, no, these are not part of the, uh, these are not part of the canon. They, you know, they go away. But so if you look at what, in a way, what Bishop Irenaeus and the, the leaders of the church at the time considered to be an acceptable behavior for a God uh, and, a, and an acceptable moral example, the God in the Bible is this codependent, narcissistic, yeah. abusive son of a, mm. yeah. Uh, where if you had people behaving like the biblical God does, you would say he's a fucking psycho. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which a lot of people do. A lot of people, I think, are put off um, traditional religions for that very reason. And I mean, let's face it, it was also propping up a, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it? Caesar is... is uh, emperor is god on earth right they were still kind of, yeah. trying to prop up that structure mm -hmm. but uh i mean maybe that has something to do with internet logic because obviously you know you see a lot of people god first jesus first in in their twitter profiles and there's there's certainly a level of performance there um you know the the funny thing is none of none of the the baptists i grew up around or i still know they're not they're not that kind of of baptists they're more you no know, god teaches us to be humble tradition so it's still a bit confusing to me but it does seem like that 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 how to think tradition does contribute to the the very very warped logic of the internet oh yeah i'm perhaps you know perhaps i'm it's not fair to ask for logic on the internet perhaps people just want to go there and and this is where i really struggle too because i don't feel better if i'm just engaging in a self-delusion exercise right and that's what it seems a lot of people do with the internet. They just go places to have their opinions confirmed. Whereas I go to the internet to see if there's something I'm missing. And it seems more and more like what I'm missing is massive, massive doses of crazy. Is it, is it that simple? Are there just that many crazy people out there? I mean, uh, all sources point to yes. Uh, there are, I mean, you have to look at you have to look at things and you go, well, what kind of environment would allow someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Lauren Boebert, and Ted Cruz to thrive and kind of ride away with popularity? It can only be a, an, an environment that welcomes the unhinged, um, well, because I think there might be a reason for that that isn't just people are crazy. I mean, each one of those is different. Texas is just low voter turnout. Right. But I also think that people have lost faith in government. And so they don't think anybody can get anything done. 
And so they vote in people like that precisely for the shit show. See, there's a, this, there's a problem there. Um, and I have myself tend to have very low faith in government. Um, but the answer to that is to be a watchdog, not to simply go, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to watch the world burn. Because here's the thing, government has never been about, oh, we'll just leave it to them and they'll solve everything for us. From the very beginning of the United States, the whole notion was that you have to be vigilant. You have to make right. sure that people in government are doing what they're supposed to be doing and not doing what they're not supposed to be doing. Right. Um, but, you know, the rise of the paternalistic 50s, you know, father is always right. Government knows what it's doing. Trust the people in government. That whole mythos created uh, generations of people who, who essentially grew up with the trust the government. The government must know what it's doing in the background. And of course, when, when, you, you, know, when you hit the 70s and that was the first massive wave of dissolution. And I, it, it's kind of baffling to me that the 60s wasn't it because, you know, the rampant racism. <laughs> well, it, but, it, it kind of got going in the 60s, but it took the 70s to sort it, of build. Yeah. And yeah. so you had the first huge waves of dissatisfaction uh, in the 70s, and then you had some of the cynicism in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But it, did, it didn't really seem to really explode with the boomers until the, you know, the 2000s, etc. And it became this this, you know, everything I was told is a lie. My, my, my caretakers uh, have betrayed me. And the problem is, it's not that your caretakers have betrayed you, it's that they sh- never should have been your caretakers in the first place. They're your, in many ways, they're your employees. They right. are there to serve a very specific set of principles. Right. They're not there to solve every problem for you. And the wave of Karens, you'll notice the wave of Karens and Kevins are people who at the very, very core of their being have the belief that someone needs to solve things for me. Yes, it's, that's, it's, it's, that's true. It's, it's the American equivalent of the British. There ought to be a law. Well, isn't, isn't that also that thing I was talking about? That's a mark of a lack of self-actualization. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not let me solve my own problems. It's solve my problem for me. Of course, exactly. then, then when some government entity tries to solve the problem for them, they don't like how they did it. And the truth is that government can't solve all our problems for us because ultimately we're the ones paying for it. So ultimately it's about us, you know, and it's weird because representative democracy is supposed to be, no, we put good people in there, not to just do what we tell them, because let's face it, we don't need representative democracy for that. That's direct democracy, right? We put representatives in who allegedly show good judgment so that when something unforeseen happens, they can probably handle it, right? Certain things do need to be done by government. Pandemic response, for instance, right? And yet that seems to be the stuff that the the Karens and the Kevins, I've never never heard Kevin before, I'm going to keep that. Um, That seems to be the thing that is really freak them out Mm -hmm. the fact that you know maybe it's because we we had a really long period of time where the populace wasn't called on to sort of like come together to do the hard thing like in world war one and world war two and so on and so they 
don't know what to do about it. But that that seems to be the freak out to me is suddenly they couldn't just, you know, go on the Internet and fight about whatever. They actually had to do something. Something was being asked of them and they Mm -hmm. couldn't handle it. And so they started looking around for someone to blame. Like all they had to do was wear a mask, right? And don't go to the mall every week. That's that's hardly meat rationing. <laughs> and they lost it. Yeah, they lost it. And that it is I mean, an absolutely shameful spectacle. And that I mean, now okay, we put rose-colored glasses on the way people handled rationing and whatnot during the wartime, they wouldn't have needed those extensive propaganda campaigns if everybody just got in line right away. There mm-hmm. there were definitely dissenters and holdouts and all that. But I mean, they were such reasonable requests by the government and they took so very little that it just seemed like a massive you're not my parent reaction then yeah. rest up with you know what one of the things i've been calling people on and they get really mad online is appeals to authority and how in fact it's a logical fallacy mm-hmm. right instead of it being this doctor presented this data it's this person said this and he's a doctor, so he must be right. That's not the same argument. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the National Institute of Health or the Center for Disease Control presented this data is not fallacious because you can look at the data and see if you agree with it. And other people look at the data and say, and then the data is revised. The This one doctor said, say COVID's not real or hydroxychloroquine cures it. Um, that's, a, that's a fallacious argument. Everything a doctor says is not true. Doctors recommended smoking for weight loss at one point, guys. Like doctors are not infallible. Mm-hmm. And it, it's amazing. That, that seems to be the big thing. And I don't know if that's because these are people raised in, well, my pastor told me to do it or my pastor told me not to do it. And they don't think any deeper. Maybe, like maybe that's the cause of it. But, and, and conservatives, conservatives do tend to prefer those sorts of hierarchies more than than liberals do the liberals are starting to get in starting to get into trouble because their um their thought orthodoxies are starting to develop quite a few leaks and mm-hmm. no one wants to uh admit why i think we were a little prescient with our our critical race theory podcast back in the day with all the the banning of it in the before times well yeah, because, uh, you know, when we talked about the fact that the way it was being presented made it so ripe for whenever you don't call something what it actually is and you try to be cutesy about it, you're going to get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And there is an example 
of a liberal, you know, liberal collection of thinkers, because that's what critical race theory actually is. It's not a unified theory. It's not the theory of evolution. It's a collection of thinkers, right? What is critical race theory? It's nothing. It's a collection of people, right? right. The intellectual dark web is not a set of ideas. It's a collection of people, right? Mm -hmm. And instead of calling it what it was, which was um, black legal, black legal and social studies. That's what critical theory is, right? It's just a collection mm -hmm. of people who go, we're going to take a, a wider view of how the history of America and America's laws, you know, inform and, and play off each other. That's all it is. And the 1619 Project is just a collection of commentaries. It is not a history book. And if it's taught that way in schools, nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But that wasn't how it was presented because right. individual Black scholars were trying to, you know, move up in their careers at prestigious universities. And at the time, you couldn't put the word Black on anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they came up with this name that sounds a lot like critical theory, even though critical theory actually does have some specific components to it. Um, and, and, you know, the uh, critical theory sounds like critical thinking, even though it's not at all, so on and so forth. And so they've created this mess of a problem that was easily exploited to all go there and say, censor entire groups of ideas. The government at the state level is censoring particular ideas. Government is not supposed to be allowed to do that. And, you know, the the response to that is they're not censoring ideas. They're saying it shouldn't be taught in schools. Well, what's the difference? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not it's not on the curriculum. Fine. Don't put it on the curriculum. But they're going beyond that. They're banning teachers from even bringing it up in school. And a lot of teachers are good enough teachers that they'll do the pros and the cons, but they're not even allowed to do that. And yet everything else is censorship. Dr. Seuss was censorship. Uh, what else was censorship? This apparently actual censorship, not censorship. Why? Because it's inconvenient. And unfortunately, I think there's just too many. And I, Mouse, do you disagree? The internet didn't, oh, sorry, so many double negatives. Let me rephrase. <laughs> it resolved that the internet did not create this impulse and blaming the internet for this impulse is wrongheaded. No, it did not create this impulse. The only, the only um, thing to really point out is that the conditions of certain things such as social media merely make that impulse a lot more likely to be indulged in and encouraged. I, I just think that the creators of these social media companies were themselves um, deontologists instead of yeah. ethicists. And so they, they created systems that were easily exploited as deontologists tend to. If, if you're not if you're not doing things with a particular ethical underpinning, your rules will 
get abused. Yeah, they, that, 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 that's the problem. You literally yeah. can't even. <laughs> yeah, you literally can't even. Yeah, I mean, if part of the problem with social media, I would argue, people say the rules are too lax. I maintain the rules are too rigid. If people are getting booted off social media for figures of speech, that's too rigid, right? And right. That, that doesn't encourage good behavior. That encourages bad behavior because people think the rules are stupid. People don't tend to obey rules they think are dumb. Yeah, that, that essentially encourages um, the bane of every tabletop role-playing DM, <laughs> the rules lawyer. Rule lawyering. Well, I, I, that's part of the internet though, right? Like the yeah. internet is is the largest collection of rule lawyers with cause. I mean, I I have had really informative discussions with self-professed internet rule lawyers. Some are actual lawyers, and so it's like okay, right. I, I totally understand. Like I know a guy; he's a criminal defense attorney who's very very concerned about what's going on on the internet. But okay, what he sees on the day to day. I kind of get that. He watches people railroaded by the system every single day. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so, um, okay, that's cool. But I do agree with what they're saying. Rules should be written in plain English and easy to understand. Mm -hmm. That's a fair request, right? Another thing is you should not have your the primary enforcer of your terms of service be algorithms. Oh, at, well, then 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 it gets into it's not who watches the watchman. It's who pays the watchman that, mm -hmm. that that I will lay at the feet. Good point, Mouse. I will lay at the feet of social media companies. The fact that part of the problem is they have just been so reluctant to spend money on things that they really should be spending money on. Despite the fact that they're already making out like bandits on the data that they sell from you. Well, Facebook is. Yeah. No, Nobody else is because they don't have Facebooks. First of all, just the sheer number of users who are willing to sacrifice privacy for convenience. But also just Facebook is, Facebook and YouTube are the top social media platforms. Everybody else is way 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 in the in the rear view right in terms in of profitability view. but you know the, these these companies have to stop trying to figure out a way around a, a human making a choice you know facebook creating a, its own version of the supreme court i think is a good idea way too late people were saying they should do that long before this mm-hmm because there has to be an appeals body that isn't Facebook proper. Um, I mean, they, I think they made the right call on the Trump decision that, you know, you were right to ban them. You can't just ban them indefinitely with no appeals process. Cause I don't think that encourages good behavior. It doesn't encourage people to do better. It just makes people angry. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully other social media companies will follow suit. I have a, I have a, and this, and this is a be our last point and then we'll wrap. I have a slightly outside the box theory as to why they're so afraid of putting human beings in charge of these ethical decisions. Oh, do tell. Well, tech people tend to be 
the polite way is sort of um, solipsistic, a atypical reasoners. Mm. Um, uh, uh, you know, a less polite way of saying it is batshit crazy narcissists. <laughs> Uh, I get you need to be a little bit crazy and a little bit narcissistic to think any idea can get as big as it did. Like just to step out and try to make anything requires a little bit of some would say confidence, some would say narcissism because you you have to believe you can beat the odds, right? Right. But I think a lot of these dot com types know acutely that they are not good with people. And so I've, I've seen tech type people spend years talking themselves into the belief that people skills are not as useful as people claim them to be. Um, machines can do anything. Machines are better at people than predicting things. They've, they've created this self-esteem myth that the things they're not good at don't have worth. And so now it's going to be like pulling teeth because they, they, they can't overcome that lie they've told themselves without bringing up all that childhood trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And, and so of course, anyone, anyone who does talk about, you know, how machines are better than people, et cetera, and so many things. The problem is, well, I don't want to go too deep into it, but there's a book that everybody should read called You Look Like a Thing and I Love You, <laughs> uh, which is absolutely hilarious but it is written by someone who develops uh, and trains uh, artificial intelligences mm -hmm. and they it gives you a pretty good um a pretty good state of uh, state of the art i guess uh snapshot of where ais are at right now how they're being trained mm -hmm. and why they're not exactly the the best thing you want monitoring social media uh no no, context is a bit of a problem. Context is a bit of a problem. And as anyone who's ever played AI Dungeon uh, <laughs> knows, AI Dungeon is a, an AI-generated uh, text-based game. Mm -hmm. uh, and AI doesn't have, at this point, doesn't have the concept of you know a person, uh, a, a steady storyline, characters. Mm -hmm. uh, it creates, you know, based on user input. And... You could start, you know, a game of, of, of Dungeons and Dragons and with just a couple, you know, cleverly suggested uh, words and context, you could suddenly turn it into a science fiction story or, right. and little by little, like the, the AI starts going nuts. Right. Like it starts inserting, like a character suddenly appears that wasn't there before and then it disappears in the next uh, section because it, you know, we have... People have the notion that, oh, it works like a, like a human mind. No, it's a completely different kind of thing. Right. Uh, yeah. And so th and that's the reason why, you know, if you write, you know, bitches back on a Facebook yeah. post talking about songs, you can get banned for three days because you yeah. wrote bitch and right. that goes against the terms of service and an algorithm flagged it. Uh, and then you you ask for an appeal and the appeal is apparently controlled by an algorithm because yes. they go, nope, this was this was uh, this was a violation of a terms and uh, terms of service. Uh, you are banned from commenting for three days. There, I mean, I think there's a reason that gamers do so poorly uh, in terms of social media systems because gamers thrive at choice and social media companies try to minimize the number of choices made by actual human beings. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's interesting. Two tech-heavy 
tech heavy sectors, totally different ethics regarding choice. And have we ever discussed the ethics of choice? We have not. Maybe we should do that because uh, people think it's all it's all one thing. And there are many, many competing schools regarding choice, the idea of choice, whether choice is meaningful or simply an illusion, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But we'll stop there. That was a, an interesting uh, toe dip into the land of crazy. Uh, <laughs> we could talk for four hours about the ridiculousness of the Internet, but I wanted to kind of go structurally because I'm still trying to understand it. I the the Internet has been particularly and people go, oh, it's COVID. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. No single answer seems to encapsulate the depth of the problem for me. You mm -hmm. know, there, there's something deeper. There's something deeper that has nothing to do with the machines and everything to do with the people that yeah. I, I think, you know, I think to 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 be not kind, but to be fair to the QAnon types and the AOCs of the world. There are a lot of them. I really think there is something valid at the core of their apparently narcissistic cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs behavior. We just got to figure out what it is so we can actually feed that human need in a healthier way. You know what I mean? Like well, the things they want aren't terrible at their core. The way they go about getting them is not great. Well, here's the thing. And this is what I, I, I'll, I'll finish on. I think mm -hmm. that, and this is something my husband has observed a lot too, um, this is going to sound very strange, but I want people to lose faith okay. I, in the systems. And I want to specify why I'm saying this and what context I'm saying this. I'm saying this in the context of what I addressed earlier of the people who go, well, somebody should do something about this. Someone should solve my problems. Uh, some, you know, it's someone else's problem to fix my problems. Mm -hmm. um, because at the very core, when you look at Alejandra Ocasio-Ortiz, Bernie Sanders, the QAnon people, all of these people have this notion that there should be some master at the top fixing all of our problems and that we should just concern ourselves with doing the thing that we like and never ever keep an eye out on how things are going, on whether the people that we're paying we're paying, but we're being forced to pay them because we can't fire them until the next election uh, unless they do something illegal. If someone is doing a bad job at, say, I don't know, at HR Block and they screw up your tax return, you can, you can, you can uh, complain. You can potentially get them fired because they screwed you over and now you owe $10,000 to the IRS. You can get like their accounting license yanked. You can get their accounting license yeah. yanked. But, you know, if Ted Cruz you know, goes off to, to Mexico in the middle of a fucking pandemic, we can't fire him. We have, but, but you continue to pay his salary. And well, you so- you can recall governors and stuff like that in some states, right? Right, in some yeah. states. But, you know, the process is extremely onerous and you need a majority. And if, guess what? If you have a whole bunch of people from that party going, oh no, nothing happened, you can't get that done. So the reason I want people to lose faith in these systems is because it is that faith that someone must do something for me. Someone must solve all of my problems. You know, it is their job to solve every single one of my problems is what holds these beliefs, these the, uh, the things that Ocasio-Cortez clings to, the, the, the things that, that the crazy QAnons cling to. 
people need, as you said, people need to self-actualize. People mm-hmm. need to understand that they have a choice, that they have the ability to work towards a solution in their mm-hmm. own lives. And mm-hmm. in doing so, the potential to extend a solution to something around them that mm-hmm. bothers them instead of trying to, you know, to turn on the someone else's problem generation generator field that Douglas Adams uh, came up with in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the yeah. Galaxy. Yeah, like stop um, complaining that FEMA didn't fix your umbrella's roof. Fix your umbrella's roof. Yeah, just get it fixed. Yeah, fix your umbrella's roof and then, you know, document it. Say, you know, FEMA dropped the ball. My abuela had this. I had. I fixed the roof. Right. This was their responsibility. They didn't do it. Or you know, the water in Flint still crap. Yeah. What the hell are they doing? You know that sort of thing. But you know, here's the thing: when you have something like that, something that happens in Flint, and you potentially have are waiting on the government to do something, and they don't do it. One of the things that you do is you shame government. Right. You take action into your own hands. That's you right. fix that. You fix that road. You fix it and you go, okay, I want my paying you guys if you don't do this. Well, and you then know, you can then you can petition the government to like, well, I'd like to be reimbursed for this. Yeah. Please. It's like you're you're gonna reimburse. I, I you know, I demand to be reimbursed because I did the I, you know, I did the thing that you guys are supposed to do. You guys are taking money from me. I don't have the choice to not use your services because yeah. you know, part of the tax law is that yeah. So why am I, are you taking money from me if you can't give me the service? We had to do this. We had to fix this problem. What the hell are you doing? Yeah, I mean- And that is the whole point. And, and you know, and at that, that moment you can even enter into arguments. Okay, well, you guys can't do this. Should you then have the authority to do this? If you can't do this, why are you doing this? You can actually enter into a dialogue instead mm-hmm. of screaming, instead of trying to storm capitals, instead yeah. of becoming keyboard warriors on Facebook, spewing vitriol at people and doing not and getting nothing done. And it's not about saving the world because the problem with the notion of saving the world, and this is something my husband, uh, this is a, a realization that my husband came up with and mm. I think is really brilliant, is the whole notion of saving the world that a lot of people find sexy. You know, it, oh, I'm, I'm fighting for the world. I'm saving the world. It's a very dangerous thing. Yes, it it's is. It's kind of, it is a, a, a self-appointed um, crusadership. It's an authoritarian impulse. Yeah, and it is yeah. an authoritarian impulse at the heart of it. It is an authoritarian impulse masquerading as I am doing this for your own good. That's right. And that gives you, and they use that as a way that, of a blanket statement that no one can, can question what you're doing. Right. Because you're doing, I'm doing it for your own good. You, you know, have you ever seen the movie uh, Hot Fuzz? Yes. The greater good. Yeah. So the reason why I want people to lose faith, I want people to acquire reason and to drive because those are the opposite of faith in common parlance because mm-hmm. faith is a trust and belief in something uh, despite having no evidence of it and despite evidence to the contrary in many occasions. And we have seen constantly, we have seen constantly what happens when people simply trust their leaders to do whatever it is right for them without keeping taps on them, without keeping an active monitoring of what they're doing. Um, my husband had uh, knew this woman who uh, her, her, her son was fired, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked in the government, I don't know exactly what, um, and one of the things she said is, well, you know, the government must know what it's doing. Uh-huh. And, you know, that was, it was an instant reaction that she had. And I was like, 
No, that is indoctrination. Mm -hmm. No, the government, I come from Ecuador. I know the government a lot of times doesn't know what it's doing. And I'm, you know, it's, it's a, I know it's a levels of different magnitude in more developed countries, but you cannot assume that the government is this magical shining city yeah. where everybody is imbued by the Holy Spirit and yeah. the power of Spaghetti Monster. And they know exactly how everything should be done. Because um, if you've ever had any brush with government at any level, you know very much yeah. so that the higher the level of bureaucracy, yeah. the higher the number of people who don't know what they're doing, and the higher the number of people who the, the, the hands, right hands that don't know what the left hand is doing. Yeah, that's a really interesting series of observations, Mouse, because I realize that that kind of explains QAnon. And I mean, AOC, Bernie Sanders, they're all very good at diagnosing a problem. Mm -hmm. That's the easy part. Right. Oh, yeah, diagnosing is easy. Whereas their solution to everything is more government. Exactly. Not necessarily the case. Uh, but the QAnon types, I mean, think about it, right? Um, the QAnon types are trying to use as a defense. Well, we only showed up because Donald Trump told us to. They are the living embodiment of if Donnie jumped off a bridge, exactly. would you follow him? Mm -hmm. Right. If Donnie told you to go jump off a bridge, would you do it? If he drank the entire yes. bottle of KO pectate, would you drink it? Yeah, um, and it is. That's a, that's that, a Golden Girls reference, if anyone knows. Yeah, that is a that is aligning up behind a strong man attitude that is searching for a leader. You know, meanwhile, in our country, um, the conservatives and this is also just following the leader, right? People who identify based on partisan politics instead of just the government. Same mm -hmm. impulse, directed in a different way, right? right. Um, they thought it was a huge scandal that the government went to a nonprofit organization. They had a pre-existing relationship with to create jobs for students. This is a big conspiracy. And they got so fixated on the structure and the, well, they didn't consult other people and the appearance of impropriety that the big end goal was, you know, it wasn't trying to fix an election. It wasn't trying to get someone deposed or murdered or anything like that. It, it wasn't grift. You know, the charity wasn't paying the government. The charity was taking a reasonable below market rates fee to get students jobs, but that was news cycle after news cycle after news cycle because someone told them it was a scandal. <laughs> and, you know, you get into these things, you get into global events, you know, since our last two, since our last podcast, a hundred people were slaughtered in Bangladesh mm -hmm. in one attack. You know, a bunch more people were killed in Tigray. Nigeria has cut off Twitter because it pulled a, you know, it treated the government of Nigeria the same way it treated Trump and cut him off for violation of terms of service, deleted a tweet. So the government of Nigeria just cut off Twitter. All these things are happening and people are still screaming about certain pet causes that, while still bad, are objectively not that, right? Yeah because it's follow the leader it you you do not get embraced for critical you were never embraced for critical thinking 
like, let's face it, right? Like critical thinking has never been popular. And I think that people like to say that Socrates. <laughs> well, they, yeah, they, they like to say they're critical thinkers because saying you're a critical thinker is popular, but actually being a critical thinker isn't popular because being a critical mm -hmm. thinker means you're the person going, hey, guys, wait, Let's just think one about minute. this. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're not a team player mm -hmm. when in fact that is being a team player. It's making sure the team is as strong as it can be before it goes out on the field. But various organizations hate that now. They hate the, hey, let's run the numbers one more time in one more different way. And that uh, that is another thing I like about Biden is he's apparently a very um, slow decision maker in that he likes all the information and he likes to hear from everyone and he does not suffer fools who are not prepared when he call it calls on you to give him information. And they tried to make that a bad thing too. He has a short temper. He doesn't suffer fools. Heaven forbid. <laughs> it's almost like it almost like America accidentally uh, elected the right guy. <laughs> I hate to admit that, but sometimes it works. So that's a good, I think, a good place to stop. We went a bit long on this one, Mouse, but I think it it was worthwhile. Uh, broken. Okay, there was a lot of crazy to get through. Yeah, and it it. I mean we don't have the answers on this, right? This is sort mm -hmm. of a, maybe this is a starting point to figure something out. So as usual, FU Network, PayPal patron, we'd appreciate your support. As usual, Mouse has the final word. Lose your face. <laughs>